I was just wondering, um, the year 1986, how many remember it and remember it well? <laughs> Some can't remember it. I realize that, whippersnappers. Um, but <laughs> as my dad used to always call young people, whippersnappers. He called us that, too. Anyway, um, 1986, I remember it well. It was a very uh, pivotal time in my life. Uh, We were living in in, uh, Fort Wayne and in the process of searching out God's will. Say, God, what are you saying? Uh, um, Actually, in the process of... of, um, uh, We had just moved to Bloomington, actually, in 86, but... um, in that year, there was a, a, a guy named Michael Morton, who was a grocery store executive uh, that was living a fairly average, middle-class life. He lived in Williamson County, Texas, with his wife and his three-year-old son. Anybody recognize that name, Michael Morton? That's going to give you a clue right there that his fairly average, middle-class life was going to somehow change, if I'm asking if you remember his name, right? Um, well... In August of that year, August of 86, on Michael's birthday, the three of them went out for a, a nice birthday dinner as a family, celebrated his birthday, and came home and, and went to bed. The next morning, he left for work about 5.30 in the morning, arrived at work shortly after there, and got busy at work. Um, short time after that, his worst nightmare began to unfold. Uh, someone that morning, sometime that morning, his wife was found uh, brutally bludgeoned to death in her bed. And as often is the case, the first people that the police look at is the family, and they focus first on the husband, which, you know, they, that, that's what they did. They focused their investigation on Michael uh, and... Uh, wouldn't look at anything else, and in spite of the, uh, there being no evidence against him, combined with the fact that the prosecutors suppressed some key evidence that would have cleared him, he was convicted and sentenced to life in prison. And year after year, he went through appeal after appeal, losing each time. And then one day, after another legal disappointment, Another no from the, the legal system. He came to the end of his rope, and he's there in his jail, jail cell, and he cries out in desperation, God, please help me. I've got nothing left. Nothing left. So he prayed that. Cried out to God. And it seemed for the moment that his prayer was met with silence. You ever have that? Crowd to God and you don't hear a thing? Seems like silence. Then one night, a few weeks later, he was getting ready to go to sleep and he put on his headphones so the music would drown out all the you know, prison sounds around him. Suddenly he felt this wave of peace and love and joy just wash over him. In his words, he said, God bathed him in light. I mean, he'd been to church before, so he knew right away what was happening. 
This was a presence of God working in his life and resting on him. At that point, he fully committed his life to Jesus Christ. See, he'd gone to church, so he kind of knew some things. But there's a difference between that and fully committing your life to Christ. So at this point, he, he, he just turns it all over to Jesus Christ. From that day on, he was a changed man. He was a free man, even though he remained incarcerated for six more years. See, on the day of his wife's death, there was DNA evidence found at the scene which would conclusively link the crime to another man, a career, uh, career criminal. Problem was, the evidence was never tested. In fact, during the appeals process, the district attorney did everything he could to prevent the DNA from being sent to the lab. Then one day a judge finally did the right thing and the evidence was tested and Michael Morgan was exonerated and his conviction was vacated. And today he will tell you, as he tells his story, he will tell you that even though he was released from prison in June of 2011, he was really set free some six years earlier when he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. What Michael Morgan experienced literally, those years and even decades behind prison walls, many people today experience figuratively. Maybe some of you have had the experience. Maybe you too feel like you're trapped in a situation and it's like a prison cell and there's no way of getting out. You don't see any way of ever getting free, of ever getting out. Maybe you're in a situation you've been in so long that you've lost all hope that there could ever be any change whatsoever. But I want you to know this morning that no matter what kind of chains may bind you today or what kind of, kind of situation you find yourself in today, there is hope. You can find freedom. Your situation can change. If you've been around the vineyard for very long at all, you know that, or at least you've probably figured out by now, that one of our favorite passages, because we go to it a lot, uh, is Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. It says this, Jesus is speaking, he walks into the synagogue, takes the scroll, opens it up to the prophet Isaiah, and reads this passage. It's recorded to, for us in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and a recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's telling us that Jesus came to set us free. He came to, to, to break whatever chains that are that, that bind you. Whatever, you know, whatever is the, it is, uh, uh, whether it's the past or your current out-of-control situation or an addiction that you just can't beat or a habit you can't break or a sin you can't escape, He came to set you free. And today we're beginning a new series called Finding Freedom. If you find yourself stuck in circumstances that you feel powerless to change, bound by limitations that you can't overcome, then um, I want you to listen to me because you don't have to stay there. 
You do not have to stay there. You can experience change. You can experience freedom both within and without. And it begins with allowing yourself to hope again. Giving yourself permission, so to speak, to believe that tomorrow can be different. To believe the best about tomorrow in spite of how things may look today. Often we have trouble looking past today and looking to tomorrow. And we don't allow ourselves to hope. You know, most of you are probably familiar, I would say, with the story of the nation of Israel's slavery in Egypt. You know, after Joseph and his family that all come to Egypt, Joseph was second in command and, and all that, and they're saved from famine. Years go by, and a new king came to power. A king that didn't know anything about Joseph, didn't know him, didn't know anything about him. So this king was looking at all the, the uh, uh, Israelites that were in the land of Egypt and saying, they're growing so much. We're going to be in trouble if we don't do something. So they enslave all of the people of Israel. And it wasn't just for a few years. They were enslaved for 400 years until God prepared a man named Moses to lead his people out of the bondage of Egypt into the promised land. You may remember that God appeared to Moses in the form of a burning bush and placed a call on Moses' life. You know, he said uh, in Exodus 3.10, Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. Now, the um, thing with Moses was, I mean, this whole burning bush experience and God speaking to him out of the bush and that, um, he wasn't too thrilled about this call. He wasn't too thrilled about what he heard. He, I mean, he was fine with God coming and delivering the Israelites from slavery. That was awesome. He was great with that. He just didn't want to be the upfront guy. He didn't want to be the point person. It's like, let somebody else do it, and I'll tag along, you know, but um, you got the wrong guy. So he argued with God, and God won the argument. Um, and then in Exodus 6, God made a bold promise, and he told Moses, he said, you go tell the people this. Say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. He promised freedom for his people. In this series, we're going to focus on steps that each one of us can take or need to take in order to experience freedom from whatever it is that holds us captive. And it begins, as I mentioned before, when you begin to, when you make the decision that you are going to once again hope. You're going to hope again. Right now, maybe all you can see are the chains, the bars, the, 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 the guards, the walls, whatever it is that's got you locked in, that's got you imprisoned. Maybe that's all you can see right now, but there is an unseen reality that is working in your life. You may not be able to see it with your eyes, but it exists nonetheless. God's at work even now to set you free in, way that, in ways that you cannot see. And even though your circumstances might not change with a snap of a finger like that, um, you can know that he's working 
to help you find freedom. And I mean true freedom, lasting freedom, not just temporary relief. Three things this morning I want to give you, um, three reasons you can begin to find hope again. First of these, remember that you may think you're alone and forgotten, but you're not. Circle that, but you're not. You may think you're alone and forgotten, but you're not. When you're in the middle of difficulty and all you can see around you is the difficulty, is the situation, the things that keep you, that keep you walled in, it's easy to think your situation has somehow slipped through the cracks and that God is unaware of what's happening in your life. Everybody feel that way? I mean, you may not intellectually reason it out, but isn't that how we feel sometimes? That my situation, God's so busy with everything else, and my situation has just kind of slipped through the cracks. Um, um, and, and, you know, he doesn't even see it. Last Yesterday we were shooting archery, and um, it was interesting because uh, sometimes, you know, we've got this, this wall that we... Uh, shoot at, okay? They've got the, the the arrow stop on it, and that we put our targets there, shoot it. Well, it's possible to shoot over the wall, and several of us have done that. And well, uh, we had one. Uh, Lisa was shooting uh, yesterday, and and she shot one over the wall, and you know, so I climb up to look over, and as I look over, I mean, there's uh, uh, stuff back there. You can't always find it, especially if it drops down. Well. There were a couple of two-by-sixes that uh, are behind the drop where we shoot, and they're like this far apart, okay? They're this far apart. They go all the way up to the top, and I'm looking for her arrow, and I look, and just it had gone right down in between those two-by-sixes with the end of it barely sticking up. It had slipped through that crack, and it was almost lost but it wasn't. I could see it, and I could pull it out. See, sometimes we feel like, you know, we're lost down there, and God's forgotten us. Um, if you're in that situation, then as I'm talking right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I mean. And here's the thing. If you're not in that situation right now, somebody sitting near you is. Or somebody that lives near you. Somebody that you see every day at work. And you need to know, and they need to know, that it's not true. That you're not alone, you're not forgotten. The truth is God does see your situation. He does know your pain because he's right there with you. In Exodus 3, God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, and he says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. See, here's something you need to understand about suffering. One thing you need to understand is suffering is a part of this world. You can't get around that fact. 
You know, living right does not exempt you from experiencing all suffering, right? Because Jesus lived right, and look at the suffering that he experienced it. It's, 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 not, it's not like a free pass from suffering, just living right. Um, uh, but, you know, Jesus experienced it, and in so doing, he gave us a model for going through it. So, you know, it's, an, it, it, it's a part of this world. The second thing you need to remember about that, too, is that you are never forgotten or alone in suffering. Never. Jesus knows what it is to suffer, and therefore he is able to take you through it. So don't for one minute believe the lie. Don't buy into the lie that, that says that God doesn't know what you're struggling with or that he doesn't care. Because there's no one who could know better what you're struggling with, and there's no one who could care more than Jesus. When difficulties arise that are beyond your, your power to change, God says, I hear you. And he says, and I am here with you. The writer of Hebrews reminded us that God had said in, in, in Hebrews 13.5, Hebrews writer says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And then he goes on and, and, and on to say, you know, based on that, he says, so we can say with confidence the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? You're not alone and forgotten. God is with you. He hears your cries. Back in the 50s, Bishop, uh, uh, if I can pronounce this right, Leos Ordas of the Lutheran Church in Hungary was imprisoned for six years because he protested the communist oppression. He was placed in solitary confinement in a small cell with no windows. His captors were trying to break him, trying to break his resistance by depriving him of contact with anybody. And if you, you know, if I have heard any studies, you know, studies have been done on this and that, it's a sure way to break somebody because it, without human contact, a person goes nuts. They lose their mind. There's no one to talk to, no one they can see, no one, you know, no contact with the outside, outside world. And there's, there weren't windows in his cell, there was nothing. They were trying to break his resistance just by depriving of contact with anyone. And he later said this, They thought I was alone. They were wrong. The risen Christ was present in that room. And in communion with him, I was able to prevail. The risen Christ was with him in that room. And that's what enabled him to prevail. He wasn't alone. See, the world may think you're alone. The devil may be telling you that you're alone. Failures that you've experienced may make you feel like you're alone. I'm here to tell you today that you're not alone. You're not forgotten. The risen Christ, the risen Christ is with you. This is reason to hope again. Second truth I want you to consider. You may think that your situation will last forever, but it won't. It won't. The Israelites in Moses' day believed that this was their lot in life, to be slaves forever. 
I mean, after all, it had been 400 years. I'd say they, it's probably understandable that they felt that. They couldn't see any way out, but God did. God said, I've got other plans for you. He says, I've got other plans for you. In Exodus 6, verses 6 to 8, he says, I'm the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give you or to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. When we find ourselves bound by trouble, imprisoned by habits that we can't break or addictions that we can't break or sin, when we find ourselves to be the victim of circumstances beyond our control, it feels like it's going to last forever, doesn't it? Ever been in that spot? This is going to last forever. That's why the Psalms and the prophets, sometimes you'll encounter this phrase when reading it. How long, O Lord? Like in Habakkuk 1-2, how long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you don't save? Or what about in David in Psalm 13, verse 1? Oh, Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long, oh, Lord? How many times have we said that? How many times have we felt that? Lord, how long is this going to go on? It feels like forever, doesn't it? When it doesn't happen right now, we're tempted to say, you know, maybe it's not going to happen at all. Maybe the situation will never change. Maybe I'll never change. Maybe the power of, uh, of God is going to be forever beyond my reach. It's tempting to say that. But don't let yourself believe it. We've said before, your past need not define your future. The promise of tomorrow is even more real than the problems that you may be facing today. You know, when Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, he was announcing that the end, you know what the end is? We're talking about the end. When we are in the presence of God forever, for all of eternity. And we're experiencing all the joys that we think about when we think about heaven, when we think about all the, you know, the, 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 the joy and the beauty and everything. That's the end, okay? Where we're ultimately headed, where everything is going to wrap up. When Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, he was announcing that the end is breaking in on us now. That's what he's saying. The kingdom of God, where everything is under the rule and reign of God, and there's beauty, there's joy, there's peace, there's wonder. Breaking in on us now. And we see that periodically. It's like, you know, when, when a blessing from, you know, from God comes, it's like, it's the end. Just a taste of it breaking in on us now third thing i want you to consider 
You may think that there's no way out, but there is. There is. You may think your situation is hopeless and that you are hopeless, but it isn't and you aren't. You may think that God is finished with you, but He's not. He will make a way for you to break free from all that is holding you back. To quote an old school worship song that I love, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. See, I'm not interested in what seems to be. I'm interested in reality. I'm interested in what is. I'm interested in what God says. And he will make a way when there seems to be no way. Isaiah 43 says this, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Maybe you feel like you're living in the wasteland right now and you don't see anything good. Watch for the streams of God to begin to flow. And as they begin to flow, watch for new life, new growth to begin to appear. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. And in the remaining messages of this series, we're going to talk about how God will make a way to bring about your freedom. There are steps to take, things to do to cooperate with what God is doing. Just like the people of Israel had to take steps of faith and obedience to get out of Egypt, you'll take steps of faith and obedience too. And you will find that the freedom that God will bring into your life far exceeds any price that you have to pay. Far exceeds it. Your situation may feel hopeless, like there's no way out, but it's not. God will make a way. Michael Morton spent 26 years in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. Now, most of us can't make that same claim. For the most part, or many of us have played a role in the messes that we find ourselves in because of our broken lives. You know, we've done things and brought things on ourselves. The hole that we're in is kind of like, you know, we went out and dug it with our own hands. That's why it's important to remember what I just read a moment ago from Isaiah. God's promise that God will forgive your sins and remember them no more. It's not like he tries to remember and can't. It's not like he, he you know, suddenly develops amnesia about it. It's, he says, no, there's no reason to remember it because it's put behind once and for all. So he chooses to remember them no more. If you haven't been washed clean through his mercy, today's the day to do it. Today's the day 
to turn your back on whatever, if, there's, if there is sin that has contributed to where you are, to turn your back on it and let Jesus just bathe you in his light. Michael Morton was in prison for 26 years, but the last six years of his incarceration, he was a free man because he had experienced the overwhelming grace of God. It may take a while for your situation to change. I'm not promising any kind of snap of the finger, instant change, but your perspective can change today. And you can dare to hope again. Why? Because God is here with you. You're not alone and forgotten. He's already made plans for your release. Your bondage will not last forever. He will provide a way out. You may not see it at this moment, but you can believe it. That's why we have reason to hope again. I'd like the worship team to come on up.